What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about fishing every day for two years straight, tips to be more effective with live scope, Nick being home alone with his kids for a whole week, and we learn about party hunting. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hey, uh, I, I, we've said this the last couple episodes, but hey, sorry we're uh, a week late. We may even be two weeks late on this one. We've been, we've been just having a heck of a time getting our schedules together, and um, you know, it's it's a lot of it is on me. So I apologize to you guys, but um, we're back. I'm home for pretty much the off season now, and uh, we're ready to get back to podcasting. We've got so much to talk about this week. No guest. It's just the three amigos. Uh, the guests will be back starting next week, and we've got some good ones we're talking to. Um, but as usual, let's go around the table and see what's going on with everyone. Whoever starts talking first gets to go first. I better go. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Rob is ready. <laughs> Hmm. Well, I, I think one of the main reasons we missed a week was it, it wasn't Nick's fault, but his neighbors got him caught up in a drinking game. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, I'm, I'm not going to blame Nick out. at all, but. Thank you. You know, it's yeah. like Midland sings. They think I have a drinking problem, but that ain't no reason to stop. And I think that's true. And a good friend like you would support me in that. So oh, yeah. thanks, Rob. Yeah. So other than other than that, I mean, I, I've been back on the lake guiding, which is cool. Um, it's amazing how much I missed guiding. I didn't realize it until I started guiding some more. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. Fishing's been decent. Um, I'm packing up today. This afternoon, we're leaving for a, an elk hunt, an early rifle elk hunt, which, I mean, even to have a buddy draw it, it's, I mean, like, that just doesn't happen very often. So the unit we're hunting only has five tags. So Ooh. there'll only, only be four other hunters in that area. And it's a giant area. So the weather's starting to cool off. The elk are bugling. So it should be a lot of fun. Just it sounds, along, so. sounds torturous, man. I can't believe you'd want to go on something like that. That's it's pretty tough. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It literally, it's probably like it, it's, I mean, you never know, but it sounds like you're just lining up really well, huh? Yeah, it really is. Like, I, I think it's going to be good. It's a, it's a lower area. The elevation of, of a lot of the areas is um, quite a bit lower than a lot of our elk country. But um, with the temperatures dropping a little bit, I think it'll really help. And I don't know, it's just, it's going to be fun. I mean, there's absolute monster bulls in that area. Hmm. And you know, for our listeners outside of Arizona, I have to, I have so many people ask me when I say I'm going on a buddy's hunt to help him. Um, we don't party hunt in Arizona. People think, oh, so like you're going to go and if you shoot it, he'll tag it. And that's not the case. Like there's parts of the country where people party hunt and you'll take five guys out and, and you know, whoever kills them, they just all tag them. That's not how it works here. So I'm basically going along. Yeah, in I, parts of the country you're it is, blowing yeah. my mind here i did not does everyone shoot at the same time you guys no. like line up like military style and execute yeah. it and i don't even know where they do it but <laughs> as a guide i get so many of these people from different parts of the country and i'm like yeah i'm going on this hunt they're like oh i didn't know you could party hunt in arizona so maybe it's not as big of a deal as as i'm making it but i get that question a lot that's so and, and then I think of the term party hunt, and I feel like it also sounds like you're just going to take like a bunch of ecstasy and stumble through the forest and hunt too. I got all these things that are not what party hunting is. So yeah, I wasn't think... taking it that far, but I thought maybe like <laughs> these guys just go out and have a good time. The hunting secondary. 
I don't think more about hunting gambling, and ecstasy but. should be in the same <laughs> sentence. No. Well, if you like to party, like I thought that's where we were going here. So, wow. Yeah, All right. You took well, it way further than I was thinking, but that's hilarious. Yes, yeah, I could, I, I, I can't even picture it. Honestly. <laughs> I can picture because Nick it, out doing it, but not Rob. <laughs> well, maybe Rob likes to party. You know, he's kind of like the, the strong, quiet, stoic type. Those are usually the ones you got to watch out for. No, no worries here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, who uh, I don't mean to, if you want to say, who got the tag? Is it Alex or Les? Those are my two guesses. No, it's uh, it's another buddy of ours. His name's Cody Nelson. He's uh, nice for our hunting uh, guys. He works for uh, Go Hunt, which is an online gear shop, um, and he's their their optics manager. So he sells all the the high-end uh, binoculars and scopes and spotting scopes and that type of stuff. So just a buddy, I met him through, uh, I guess, buying optics back when he worked for another outfit um, quite a few years ago and both our boys play baseball. So we kind of hit it off and uh, yeah, so it should be fun. Nice. Man. That Talk just a little made about my the- day listening to uh, <laughs> the party hunting conversation. Go ahead, Nick. We you have a, something. We have a title for this episode, Party Hunting. That's yeah. it. That's we could it. Just, yeah. We, we can sign off. We're done. <laughs> yeah. I'm writing it down right now. All right. Rob, tell Party me a little bit about your, your, little about your guiding, dude. I didn't, uh, I've been out of touch, man. I only talked to you on these podcasts. I don't even know. Like, where you been guiding? How's it been? Uh, we've been guiding Saguaro quite a bit. Um, and every trip there, we've caught a good one, which is pretty cool. So uh, the fish are... I mean, there's not a ton of fish in those lakes right now, but the quality is is just phenomenal. I mean, you, you go to you go to Roosevelt, and well, let me put it this way: you go to Saguaro and you catch fish there, and then you go to Roosevelt and catch them, and it's like they're just not even the same species. I mean, the ones at Saguaro are just fat, colorful. I mean, they're just beautiful fish. So. Yeah, kind of, kind of cool. And it's, it's not be... that the Roosevelt fish are sickly. I mean, it's no. just that, that just how awesome the fish in Saguaro are. Like as far yeah. as their build and their genetics, they are they're freak shows, man. Yeah, and they whatever they're, I mean, just their colors are phenomenal. It's uh, it's been pretty. They're real cool, green, so. huh? They green, just got that just... nice green, bright color, huh? Yeah, yeah, and they're they're built like a brick shit house. I mean, they're so thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from one end to the other. So that's been fun. I mean, um, I was there on what's today. Today's Thursday. I was there, uh, Monday and I had a guy from Canada, Ontario, Canada, solid fisherman. He actually guided on uh, Lake St. Clair in the early nineties for like five years. Um, fishes almost every day when he's at home in Canada, but, uh, <laughs> I hand him a spinner rod. I said, you can drop shot. He goes, Oh yeah, I got this. And it, that's just rare, right? He just grabs it, literally makes two casts, his third cast, he catches a five pounder. Uh-huh. And a five pounder to a Canadian. I mean, that's, that's equivalent <laughs> to probably. Dude, serious. Probably, that's a good point. That's like a seven or eight pounder to them. Was know? he pumped? Yeah, he was stoked. He's like, so I had him for two days and he's like, I'm good. Like, so three casts in, he goes, he goes, both days are successful. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah. That's the so, best thing ever. <laughs> but he went on to catch quite a few fish. It was, uh, it was fun. It's Beautiful, awesome, man. man. Great yeah. to hear. Yeah. Glad that you're back into the swing of things. And 
and there's just like it's so that's one of the really rewarding things about guiding is just that that dude that's going to be a really memorable uh trip for that guy so um yeah pretty and cool for man me and, too you know yeah. like I know my wife gets tired of me. Like she knows when I have a good trip because I come home and I'm like, yeah, and this guy did that. And he's, you know, just, I talk about it for the whole evening. You know? <laughs> That's sick, dude. That's awesome. I'm weird like that, but it's cool when you connect with cool people. That's the beauty too. Guiding is just neat like that. You definitely have challenging clients, but I don't know. I probably couldn't throw a percentage at it, but I want to believe <clears throat> that the majority, you end up just having a cool connection like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had beauty. I had a trip uh, last week too. And that was, that was the one in the morning where you're like, Oh my goodness. I'm not too sure if we're going to catch one. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of settled down. He ended up catching like a three pounder was his first fish. So that was nice. pretty cool. Um, and it like 10 o'clock came, we fished four hours. It was just a half day trip and 10 o'clock rolls around. I said, look, I said, I don't know if you guys have time, but I'd like to go another 30 minutes. I want to go to a certain area. I'm going to fish with you also. And we ended up doing that. And I looked at my phone the other day and the photograph that I took of his five pounder that he caught was at 1030. So nice, but it was kind of cool. Cause I think it was kind of a a technical way of fishing. And I, I really believe that him being able to watch me do it kind of helped him out a little bit. Cause I tried doing that earlier in the day and it just, it wasn't going to happen. So um, you know, right now, a lot of those fish are on the vertical walls and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not easy to fish, man. I mean, you, you do not feel the fish bite. You just happen to pull up and like, it's you just there. Have that, you just know he's there. So it's an interesting thought that having to watch you or like watching you do it for an extended amount of time helped him. And that makes total sense, man. Like you'll make, it's real easy as a guy to just make the one cast and say, this is how you do it then give them the rod and expect them to pick it up right away. Um, And it's too few. Like that one cast is not showing them because we just ran down the lake. They're adrenaline rushing. You know, they're just, there's things going on and, but you don't, they want to get to fishing. So the instruction is real is, is usually really short. And sometimes maybe I should just stop, you know, 30 minutes in and and go, okay, here's what we need to do. But it's, that's hard to do, you know? They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, got it, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, because yeah, they it. just okay. want to get just cast out there. Okay, just cast, okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then they're reeling in a drop shot. It hits the water and they reel it in. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, cool. I will say having poached many solid guides over my career of being a client, when the, when the guide fishes cast for cast all day from the front of the boat, it's not like it bothers me, but, like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's probably you just got to ride it out and find the balance there because, you know, like, I don't know, it's just, it is a little awkward. And then the best is when the guide catches the five pounder and has you hold it to take a picture. And it's like, that's just like, that's your fish, bro. Like congrats. And I'm not bitter that you caught it. Like that's, it's all good. Any good fish in the boat is, is a a good thing, but don't make me hold it. We know a guy that'll slide his Jersey on and make the client take a photo of him. (laughs) hilarious we do we do that's, we that's how you that's how you get all the five star reviews though is when you yeah. have you know service like that so <laughs> you get repeat customers <laughs> no doubt oh. no doubt yeah hopefully they gave him a good tip <laughs> um well that's great man glad glad to hear it how about uh, how about you nick what uh, what's up your way man dude we've all been out of touch for so long i don't even know what self-degrading humiliating silly thing i should talk about it's been just the top five 
Okay. All right. I'll keep it short. You know, it's just, it's been, it's been busy. It's been good. Um, I thought popped in my head that I feel like my spending habits are kind of the equivalent of a chimpanzee with a machine gun. They're kind of dangerous and unpredictable. And, uh, that, you know, it's just been a year of buying stuff that I don't need, but I didn't tell either of you guys this, um, cause I wanted to enjoy it together, but, and you know what a Mazda Miata is? You're kidding me, right? Nope. And, uh, I want to get into the, the haircutting business and any, you know, respectful hairstylist drives a Mazda Miata. So no, I found one that has a V8 engine out of a, a, a GMC Yukon that got swapped into this tiny little Mazda Miata and it's just glorious. You know, I wasn't looking for that, but it came up on the old interwebs and the price was right. And so I've been tinkering around with that little thing and uh, it's been pretty fun actually. You like it. Ah, so great, man. Like all my friends, even my car friends, when I tell them I bought a Mazda Miata, they're like, what? Like they're ready to disown me and block me out of their phone. Is it a hard top or a convertible? So it doesn't have the hard, it, it, so they're hard top convertibles. And this hard top yeah. disappeared a long time ago. And I'd like to find one for it, but I'm trying to not get way in over my head with it financially. So I'm just trying to like bare bones it along, but it, uh, we need to post a picture of this thing on our Instagram. Yeah, how well How well was the motor uh, swap on it? How, how good of a job did they do? Well, you know, as someone who prides himself on riding in things that will probably kill him on the freeway, this isn't that scary. Like, this one's actually pretty good. And I'll show you a picture of it inside the engine bay. It actually fits really, really well. Like, it's it's actually fits good. There's enough room for a turbo. So I think that's the route we need to go now is we need a little bit more horsepower and then it'll be ready to rock. But that was like the most exciting thing. Uh, Rob, you touched on the block party that I attended on Saturday night. And then at 3 a.m. as I was in my bathroom holding on for dear life, I thought I should probably text you guys because we had a podcast record in two hours. Uh, that night was pretty fun. Uh, my wife was out of town for seven days in Mexico. So it was me and the three kids. It was time to let loose and hit the block party. So, uh, that was, you know, that was the weekend for sure. Dude, were there any harrowing moments with just you and all three kids? Mm. Not too bad. I mean, they're all alive. You know, it's kind of like you run down the vitals, breathing, fed, um, not crying incessantly, just like 70% of the time. We did all right, actually. You know, everyone, everyone survived. And uh, the two-year-old was definitely a little lonely for his mom, but I'm just as good, you know, when you, when you compare her and I, I'm, I'm pretty special. So I think he appreciates that now, but I say that jokingly, but everything was good, man. Yeah, we're, we're good. Except for maybe it's irresponsible parenting when you are in the bathroom at 3am and you're the only responsible adult in your house, that might be a little bad, but we survived. That's good, dude. I honestly, I just feel going through a hangover like that is like the worst thing ever i'm sure and and just getting sick like that i, I literally feel bad for you that that stinks you. that you had to go through that i'm sorry i don't i don't feel bad for you. <laughs> i honestly wish we had done the pod it would have been great <laughs> yeah oh, oh man i i don't even know like yeah i just it maybe would have been an enjoyable seven minutes and then the remaining 53 minutes would have just been you know I have a status to uphold and it would have, it would have just deteriorated from that. But I will say I have the best neighbors ever, man. They, they hired in like, there's this business where you probably know this cause you guys are hip and I'm not, 
but this guy has a business where he has an old truck with kegs tapped into the side of it. And then he just goes around. And so it was called like the, I don't think it was called the keg truck, but essentially it was that. And it was cool. It was like a 64 Chevy panel truck with like eight different craft beers on a, a tap through the side of the truck. So, I mean, when, when that shows up, how can you not end up in the fetal position of your bathroom five hours later? Right? That is in cool. Josh and Josh and I's in my, my neighborhood, it would be Paps blue ribbon and Keystone. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, dude, we, we know nothing about that. Yeah. That's, that's huh. very that's cool weird. though. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you guys drink craft beer. I Rob's over there. Let's run it. Rob has a sweet beard. He mountain bikes, dude. He probably has like, those gorper sandals that have velcro on the front and back that's how much of a craft beer <laughs> connoisseur rob is that's hilarious no that is i mean dude what a great idea and, and you know uh what a just a, a fun way to make spice the party up a little bit like that <laughs> and, and the and the amount of effort is zero from you like not as far as the host of the party literally just makes a phone call and busts out a credit card and then everyone's stoked dude there was a water slide that truck and uh um one food truck so it got Unreal. it just it got to the level where irresponsible choices were made and but we survived yeah that's cool that's awesome man so, um yeah, thanks well sweet yeah and then looks like you got your motor serviced and you're ready to go huh you're ready to go fishing again i'm ready man what a pleasant surprise you know i bought that boat without knowing the hours on it which i sidebar real quick if you guys were gonna buy a boat what's the i mean do you just there's no real fast and easy way to know if it doesn't have smart gauges, right? Like I bought it not knowing the hours and I just thought that that was probably important information that I didn't have, but how do you address that? Is there a way to address it? You just have to plug it into a, to, to a Mercury computer and then have it read just like you did. Yep. But I'm saying like, if you're just going to buy something, people don't have like a scanner for that, do they? Like you have to be you, a you need, you need to ask them to, to have it read for you with a printout, just like you got to guess, right? I mean, that's, well, I got it 18 months later, <laughs> Yeah, but it was pleasantly surprising because it, when I bought it, I thought it had way more hours than it ended up having on it. So it was kind of like Christmas came in September this year. Kind of grateful nice. for that. Heck yeah. I serviced mine this week too. And, uh, mine's got 175 hours. Huh? What's typical. Is that about what you normally have on a season? Yeah. Cause it'll end up being a little over 200 and that's pretty normal. So yeah, for sure. Yep. I mean, for fishing a lot. Well, and that's what I was wondering. Do you ever, like, I was trying to envision, like, on certain seasons where there's different lakes, do you have more hours of idling and scouting versus other seasons, or does it always just land in that? It kind of averages out, dude, for sure. But, like, yeah, I mean, dude, some weeks you might not put much, and then other weeks you might put on literally, like, you know, 30 or 40 hours in a week. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty standard, though, for like a, a full-time fisherman. I, I think they say like a pretty average number for a relatively avid weekend fisherman is like 50 a year. Okay. Um, you know, so, uh, but it, it depends on the lakes you fish. You know, when you're just like you said, some of those lakes, you're just, you're, you're putting so many hours on in one week that uh, it does add up for sure. Yeah. A lot of those are idle hours, though, nowadays, huh? Yeah. Yeah, for those sure. Are- those are hours we never used to put on like you guys put on nowadays with the electronics. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, Rob you always lived your life at full throttle, didn't you? You never had time to idle. Yeah. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, what's up with you, Josh? How's, uh, uh, how's everything been in your world, man? I'm just getting settled back in, man. I had the, you know, I was headed to St. Clair at our last podcast and, um, 
I ended up having a pretty underwhelming tournament. I finished 26th in my group. I missed making the knockout round by about five pounds, you know, two fish, which in the grand scheme of things over the course of two days, that's not much. But um, I just never, I have a lot of regret in, in how I practiced. I went up just kind of there we were we were on the american side we had lake st Clair, the detroit river the st Clair river and a section of lake erie available to fish and i love lake erie i've i've done pretty well there in the past and the fishing i really like because it's high percentage fishing like um you can pull up to a specific reef and fish a specific rock pile or fish a specific spot and if they're there, they're there. And if they're not, they're not. But it's the fish are very targetable. Lake St. Clair is full of bass, one of the best fisheries in the country. But the fish roam like you wouldn't believe because it's flat bottom. We talked about it a bunch in the last podcast. But it's St. Clair has just been so good for the last several years. And we were launching out of St. Clair. I said, I'm just going to make a complete grid out of this section of Lake St. Clair. And um, that's what I did. I did for two days of practice. And, and while I was practicing, I knew it wasn't on fire, but it was like just good enough that I was like already waist deep. You know, I don't have a ton of time now. I'm a day into, uh, into practice when we get a day and three quarters of practice. Um, I've spent a full day, you know, I had 15 bites the first day of practice, 12, 15 bites the first day of practice. Uh, let's just let's just grind it out and try to find a couple more places and make a decent tournament out of it. And um, I mean, that's kind of just what ended up ensuing, man. I just ended up a little short. As the tournament went on, I was learning a lot more. I really, like I said, I really feel like I understand the Lake Erie fish, but I don't, I'm still have a lot to learn about Lake St. Clair. It's one of those lakes that it's, it's, it's so unique and so different that you can go out there. And I mean, they were decent days of fishing, catching 10, 15 fish with a three pound average. Those, that's a decent day of fishing in the grand scheme of things. But in this tournament scenario, it's just not good enough. And, um, you know, I ended up just missing that cut. So what I was doing was um, pretty much live scoping, you know, the whole time, you know, you get into these areas and the grass would grow differently everywhere there was a lot of like two foot tall eelgrass and then there were some bare spots and they weren't completely bare sand but they had just like this crab grass that grows like an inch or two off the bottom this real short grass and the eelgrass would go for the size of two three football fields and then you'd have a basketball court size patch of crab grass and that's where all the fish would be huh. and then you'd have it would be another two football fields of eelgrass and another patch of crabgrass. <laughs> and then there'd be 10 or 15 fish in that little stack of crabgrass. Um, so it was really windy in practice and I was kind of drifting through and you'd mark where you get a bite and you try to put things together. Okay. I had two, two bites down that stretch. You know, there's a reason those fish are there, but you know, with trying to cover water in practice and, and having it so rough and windy, I didn't, have a bunch of those crab grass spots marked not enough i just had places where i had been bit so the tournament rolls back around i start on the exact same place as jacob wheeler exact same patch of crab grass and there's not another boat within five miles of us <laughs> and uh we get started dude and he is just lighting it up uh -huh. and 
I am catching fish, but not at the rate he is. And this is a style. I mean, dude, we're drop shotting, looking at live scope. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to do. And he told me, he's like, dude, he's like, I wasn't stoked to see you there because like, I knew I was going to have competition on these fish. I was wishing it was someone else. And, and I'm like, dude, it t- turned out it, I was no competition at all, bro. I may as well not even have been there. So um, I was very frustrated. And as it went on, I, 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 what I just explained about the crabgrass and, and also how the fish were setting up as the tournament went on, I, I was learning and learning and, and, and I was getting better as the two days went on, but I just started with, without the understanding of what the fish were doing. And it put me far enough behind that I never caught up. I felt like if I could have got into the cut, I could have had a, a strong day on the last day, but, um, you know, just one thing that's really interesting on that lake, and I talked about it with Jacob after the tournament, was um, the current is it, it's so powerful, but there's, it's really hard to feel it because the lake is so wide. Um, it's hard to know that there's current and the current lasts, the residual current can last for a uh-huh. day. If, if the wind <laughs> blows hard the day before, the fish will, st- will, bury up in that grass because the current takes so long to slow down and uh would like the second morning of the tournament we start back on the same spot again neither of us catch a fish in the first hour so we both left um and he went on and and found some other stuff closer to erie and, and ended up fishing the rest of the tournament down there anyways but i have to find all new water and end up finding a couple good spots i get to within like 12 ounces of the cut at one point and then I just kind of hit a wall. I'm trying to find new water and I'm, I'm running, I'm just running into this wall, not finding good stuff. And I'm fishing all new stuff, got a camera in the boat. Uh. And then just, I fall like 12 pounds back. And then with um, like 30 minutes to go, just out of default, I'm like, let me go back and see if this fish came back to our start spot. So I drive all the way back over there and sure enough, they're everywhere, dude, uh. they're everywhere. <laughs> and I catch like four and lose like two more in the last uh, 30 minutes of fishing. And I'm like, God, why didn't I come back here <laughs> earlier? But like, they, I thought they were gone, right? So I thought they had completely left. I wasn't seeing the bait and there was some bait there the day before. So I talk about it with Jacob afterwards. And he's like, yeah, dude, they, he's like, they didn't leave, but they were so buried up in the grass trying to get out of that heavy current that they actually went and hid in that eelgrass. And they're almost uncatchable when they're hiding in that eelgrass because instead of being able to look at them and pinpoint them on live scope, they're just buried in there and they're, they're, they're not hungry. But when that current slows down, they lift up off the bottom and start to hunt around and swim again. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, there's no knowing exactly when that current can slow down, but that's what happened, right? The current finally slowed down. It had slicked off, been slicked for long enough. The fish rose back out of the eelgrass, went back to hunting and, uh, I regret not going there 30 minutes before I did. But um, anyways, it was a good lesson to learn. Dude, tournament fishing and like now having the experience you've had for how many years, it just every single tournament has like when you run the tape back, it's just crazy, man. Like it's crazy how those narratives play out and like the behavior of fish and what they do. It's 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 fascinating, yeah. man. That's it, crazy. And every place is different. That's such a unique yeah. lake. And I told, I was like, dude, I feel like an idiot, bro. Like to, to, to not, it makes sense, right? Like that heavy current, the fish of course are going to get sucked to the bottom. We know that we know that from every other type of fishing we do. Um, but it just was such a unique thing. And unless you live it, 
and can see it on that specific body of water sometimes it's it's hard to put all the pieces together while it's unfolding right so oh yeah um, go ahead Ralph. so all in all i mean your your tournament season was a success in my eyes i mean uh, you and i talked about this i believe when you were driving home how uh, where did you finish in the points do you know exactly yet 24th 24th out of 80 guys right so you made red crest you made what two of the three cups two of four yep Two of four, and you made heavy hitters. So So it was cool. I mean, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's not the best, but it's but you were for sure. You were a couple different decisions away from having a phenomenal year, and I still feel like you had a good year. So that's thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a survival year, anyways, and uh, a serviceable year. But um, yeah, hopefully next year I can be a little bit sharper. And I think just being a little sharper and a little quicker in some of the scenarios, some of the dumb things that happened this year that were self-inflicted, that is the difference between having a great year, maybe winning a tournament or getting in the top 10 in points compared to, you know, just a a year where you make a living and uh, move on to the next year. But be grateful that you, on a a less than stellar year in your eyes, you're still where you're at. That's pretty good. I'm thankful, dude, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Th- yeah. Thank you very much. And didn't, uh, you know, I know this year was funky cause you had a couple of derbies early on that weren't counting towards this year's point total. Right. Cause since you get yeah, off they, to a crappy start, but it didn't terrible, really count. Terrible yeah, so start, like, look dude. at that dude, like great comeback. Proud of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, so that's cool, one. man. Yeah. That's uh thanks. Man. That, that's a, it's all good, dude. So this is the, this, this part of the podcast is brought to you by Hallmark greeting cards. This is where we all shower Josh with love and affection and celebrate. Tires up. That's right. Celebrate <laughs> the fact that we have an A-list friend to yeah, go back to our mediocre whatever, lives. Dude. Rob and I are over here with nothing, but yeah, know. dude, you're the dude. one with uh, craft beer kegs at your block party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, maybe if you play your cards out, I might invite you one of these years, but don't get your hopes up. Dude, why did they like the crabgrass? Is it just because they can see the bait easier? Because they can smallmouth like... are purely sight feeders, right? Okay. So um, that's where they can get out and see. That's 100% right, man. They can see that bait fish and, uh, and, and move around and swim around. So They're that's so totally badass. And the, the calmer it was, the higher they'd be. And I did write <laughs> down, so it was all about live scope. It, you know, you could catch fish on St. Clair without live scope, but that style of fishing, you're going to catch a lot more if you've got it. And there were some keys um, to seeing these fish. So um, your range, like, you know, in live scope that we always talk about the range, I'll set mine as, as, as short as 50 feet out in front of the boat. And as long as a hundred feet, sometimes um, this was a scenario where you want to have that set out as long as you can possibly see, because you're not trying to decipher a fish in a brush pile you're trying to just see a fish and then (laughs) hunt for it. Right. And then go in, you're totally hunting. So you're literally trolling around panning, sometimes not even casting until you see a fish. And I'd set it out at at 80 to a hundred feet this week, depending on the conditions. If it was flat, calm, I'd go to a hundred feet when I could see really well. And you would see a fish out there and you'd know instantly, you know, if it's five, six, seven feet off the bottom, a lot of times by themselves, it's a smallmouth, and that smallmouth is swimming around looking for food. Um, so you would you could make that long cast, but I the the challenges with that or your landing ratio are going to be way down because uh-huh. the farther out your cast is, 
the angle of your line, when you set the hook, you're instead of putting the point of that hook up into the top of the fish's mouth, you're pulling it out through his lips. So you're going to have the fish hooked a lot better the closer you can be to the fish. But the, <laughs> the closer you get to the fish, you risk spooking them. You can't get right on top of them. So a lot of times what I would do, and also you got to think about your casting accuracy. If you're 100 feet out and you see a fish and you cast to it and miss it by 15 feet, there's a chance they'll see it and go down and get it. But sometimes you're just going to totally miss it. And sometimes you, I've seen it to where you even distract the fish. They see something going on. They move. They swim over there. They can't find your bait. And now you've lost tabs of where that fish is at. You're trying to relocate them. So what I was doing was getting – I was trying to get 40 feet away from the fish. That was like the perfect zone of like you'd see it. You'd see it out there at 80, 90 feet. You'd troll slowly. you get up to about 40 feet. <laughs> aim really carefully and then make your presentation and uh, you know your boat is drifting still a little bit close to the fish so hopefully he swims right down and eats it and then now you're like 30 feet from the fish and zing you set the hook and it's almost straight up vertical into his mouth and i lost very few fish so and then talking to jacob after too he did the same exact you know that was what he thought was the sweet spot on distance so um for the listeners, like just something to think about if you're, if you are, it doesn't have to be at St. Clair, but just a situation where you're seeing cruising fish like that. Um, that was kind of the sweet spot. Closer is better. Yep. And then spot, a lot of spot and stock. Exactly. A lot of guys were um, cranking. And what was really interesting with the crank bite was like, they weren't so much hunting for a single fish. They were trying to basically run into the fish. Right. And, but, but what was, what those fish were doing a lot was they were following the crankbait and not biting it. Uh, so they were using it to lure the fish in instead of going out to the fish. They, these guys were cranking, they would bomb the crankbait out and then they would set their live scope. Um, talking to Gerald Sporer, who I room with, he would cast his crankbait out and, and get his live scope arrow lined up with his rod tip he would put his rod tip right on the arrow which is brilliant because it's it's hard to find your bait right but when you have your rod tip in your line making a, a, a pointed in a specific direction if your live scope arrow is exactly pointed at your line you're going to see your bait every time so he would see his bait coming in from 70 80 70 60 50 and if there was a fish behind it he had a drop shot right there ready and a lot of times that fish would follow it to the boat. It would even come up and be right under the trolling motor and he would just open his bail and that down the bait would go and he'd catch the fish. So um, <laughs> just a cool bait and switch. I thought it was pretty brilliant. Dude, that's so that both different scenarios you outlined there sound so similar to different saltwater techniques that I've seen in my life too, right? Like the spot and stock, that's totally flats fishing, right? And like totally. you, just, you just melt down because you can see it out there like a, you know, 100, 120 feet or whatever. And then you have to like sneak up on it and then not F up the cast. And you usually only get one shot and you F it up and it's over. And it's just like, it's yeah, so sure. fun, dude. And then the crankbait thing is totally what the rooster fish bite was. The one guy would throw um, a two ounce lead jigging spoon as far as you can, but then reel it as fast as you can. So it's on the surface and then it just bring them up and you'd cast behind it. It's that's fun, man. What a, what a creative way to make that happen. Yeah. It's funny though, the parallels there between salt and fresh, like it's the same concepts, fishing's fishing. And I'm sure Predatory there are tons fish. of techniques where you can 
relate. And, and what's interesting is Gerald is now he's turning into a big saltwater fisherman and he is, he's taking stuff that he learns in salt and, uh, and, and putting it to use. And I'm sure it's the other way around too. Like I'm sure if you, not that, that bass, that saltwater fishing is easy. It's got a million of its own challenges, but I mean, if you're a lifelong avid bass fisherman, I think picking up any other type of fishing is going to be a lot easier than someone who doesn't have that experience. Absolutely. Right. Like, cause there are just so many carryovers of whether it's technique or the ability to like think and apply concepts like, that's a universal thing. It'd be interesting to hear, you know, we had Adrian Avina on a handful of podcasts ago, and obviously he's a, a badass saltwater guide. Be cool next time we have him on to just kind of see if there's any, you know, things that he, cause I mean, he's like, yeah. you know, thousand feet deep dropping down on 600 pound fish. So if there's any parallels to that, it'd be amazing to hear. It's, he's great at both. And there's, and there's no surprise, you know, it makes, makes total sense, but it would be actually like to have an actual podcast about that for sure. Yeah. Be cool. Um, so a couple things that we wanted to talk about this week, our buddy, uh, Dave over at best on tour. Um, he's got a, uh, email blog that we love and we get a lot of our material from these, these blogs. We've got two things we wanted to talk about. One was from his deal last week. The title of his blog, uh, was make money in professional fishing. This is the best on tour blog. That was the title of, of this specific version of it. Matt Pangrak, another buddy of ours who's been on the podcast, he has been fishing up north this summer, um, fishing opens and, and fishing uh, tournaments up on these big bodies of water. And he's an Oklahoma guy. You know, this is kind of his first big summer doing this on his own. And, and he's learned some, some cool lessons that, um, just to, that apply to fishing big water, that they're, they're, they're nothing about fishing, nothing about how to catch more fish, but just practicality items that I think would help anyone that is going out to fish big water. And I agree a hundred percent with a lot of what he says. Um, so I'm just going to run through some of them. And if you guys want to chime in, if you agree or disagree, let me know. The first one would be wearing quality footwear. And in, in parentheses, it says not flip-flops. I will uh, disagree <laughs> a little bit with that one, but I, I get what he's saying. Um, but, you know, he says, I've always worn flip-flops on the boat, but in rough water, they don't provide enough support and his feet were sliding around. Um, he switched to a light waterproof hiking shoe and the difference was incredible. And the waterproof is key because no matter what your shoes are, if you bring one pair of running shoes to go fishing for a few days on big water, you're going to be fishing in wet shoes. You, even if it's not raining, just taking the waves over the front of the boat when you're running the trolling motor, you can't keep your shoes dry. So having support, um, and waterproof is a huge deal you know see i think the uh i think crocs with four-wheel drive mode engaged <laughs> is the uh, most correct footwear in big water for all the negative three times i've ever fished big water four-wheel drive crocs there's nothing correct about crocs <laughs> but you Sorry. look legit bro <laughs> i will all tell right. you they're the best shoes for toddlers i love my kids Dude. love crocs you just slip them on do they get them all nasty you hose them off but um they're i'm telling you they're amazing for toddlers but I, we're, we're gonna get them out of them uh here pretty soon. <laughs> sorry i'm only here for the bad jokes continue proper mapping uh you know these lakes are so big and a lot of times some of the electronics companies haven't had time to get out and chart 
these monster bodies of water. So before you go, no matter what big lake you're going to, get on your GPS that you've got and and look at it and see does it look like it's it's been actually charted or does this look like it's something that was drawn in and um you know if if that's it's going to make your whole tournament because the there it's all about fishing offshore and fishing the best offshore structure so being able to find those irregularities are the uh the biggest key dang it i just lost my page even the detail of the irregularities mm-hmm. i mean that's one map might show it the other map might show where you need to be on it you know totally totally um okay bug spray living down south you don't have to fight bugs very often right but you go up up north in uh, june through september and you're <laughs> going to be battling mosquitoes so um 100 make sure you get bug spray in the boat it's just another thing you don't think think about coming from the south you don't ever need it in your boat wind app on your phone that's huge i love WindFinder. um wind finder is cool because it, it's it's got locations all over these big bodies of water and it's going to be different you're going out on uh, lake erie for instance there's going to be 10 different weather stations around the lake and it's everyone's going to be it might be ripping on one end of the lake and blown out of a completely different direction calmly out of the on the other end so that wind finder is sweet and it seems to be very accurate you know there's one thing that weathermen ha- always have a hard time you guys uh predicting rain and stuff like that obviously that's a lot harder but wind is these good wind apps are do you guys think they're really accurate i've never used them Right on. Yeah. yeah. And, and even like Lake Mead, I'm getting ready to go to Lake Mead. We've got a ton of Arizona and California listeners. Get that WindFinder app and you can go to the map feature on the app. And what that, what that is, is it's actually like a, a visual illustration of what the wind is doing and di- it'll have different colors for different wind speeds. So like no wind at all is like purple. It's like zero to five. 5 to 10, it turns to blue, then 10 to 15, green, and or yellow maybe, then green. But you learn what the, what the winds are, but you'll see like, okay, it's not going to be blowing um, super hard on the main lake, but coming out of the Overton at 2 o'clock, it's going to be blowing 30. So then you can plan your day out like, okay, that's, that's really good to know. I need to be able to plan to run this shoreline, or maybe I can't get to where I'm going because it's going to rip like that. So uh, just, just it being able to look at that map is such a big deal. And it's amazing. The different parts of these big lakes, you come out of one basin and it's calm. And then the next basin you, you open up and it's just five footers. So, <laughs> and, and you feel the accuracy is enough to trust that, huh? Yeah, I'll plan my day around it, dude. And of course, nice. I can't say it's been perfect every time, but it's really it's it's really good for sure. Yep. And even up to date, like, you know, because you got the residual winds too, you know, so you can see what it's been doing all night. You can see as you're you're getting ready to to start your day out what it's doing at that exact moment. So, before you jump off, random question that I don't want to take up too much time. You talked about on St. Clair that like phantom current from wind that had already died down. Do you think that exists on Mead? Yeah. Oh, and I've seen it. I think we may have even talked about it before on here. Okay, but maybe uh, that's why it popped One in time head. on a glass calm day, yeah, I was like having a hell of a time staying on a waypoint. And uh, that's what it was. It was residual wind. <laughs> and I think it was actually back pump wind where it had blown out of the north so hard. And here oh, we are a day was... and a half later. Now that water's got to come back. 
So the water was sliding back up into, uh, but yeah, that's always that's a factor, it. right? And that's going to make the fish position closer to the bottom. That's a hey guys, I got to warn you. Um, I've got someone that's going to stop by and uh, if they ring the doorbell, my dogs are going to go crazy. So I'm going to mute it and I'll go take care of it and I'll be back if that Sweet. happens. Yeah, no so, problem, dude. That's, awesome. that's when we'll talk the most crap about you. Is Please you do. Mute, when you mute and walk away. We I got care you. less. If I, if I don't hear it, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, just a few more here. Bring more than you think you'll need when it comes to everything. So uh, <laughs> drop shot weights, you know, that's a big thing. Like, you know, you can just uh, – that type of stuff that you don't think you, – you get so excited to go fish, right? And you're like, I need this bait. And, you know, this is where I'm going to fish. And getting your, your tackle done. But, like, the stuff like weights and hooks, man, that you can fly through that quick. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah, just you don't want to be uh, running out. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's hard to get stuff, especially right now in the tackle world. I'm really finding myself any chance I can get to buy something, even if I don't need it. If I see it on a shelf, I buy it because you never know when it's going to be available again. It's crazy. Um, research where the ramps are. Um, you could, a lot of times it's a great point. You know, it, a 10 mile run on a big body of water can be, it's not like running 10 miles on a, on a river system right? I mean, a 10 mile run can be daunting in the wrong conditions. So get to the closest ramp to where you think you'll fish and um, definitely don't underestimate, you know, if, if you have to go 10, 20, 30 miles, that can be hours of running if it gets really rough. So, uh, and then one thing I'll add is always start with a full tank of gas. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always, every single practice day and tournament day, even if I know I'm only going to be going 10 miles, like, you just never know what's going to happen out there. You know, your fish might move and you might have to go somewhere else. You might have to, I always, you know, you might have to come back to the truck. You might get out to your first spot and, and your trolling motor breaks. Now you have to ride all the way back to your truck, get your trolling motor fixed. And if you're out of gas, you can't get back out to your spot. So always start every day of fishing on a big body of water with a full tank of gas. Here's a dumbass newbie question. Um, do you fish pretty much every tournament with a full tank of gas, Josh? Is the trade-off in speed, is there a trade-off in speed because it's so heavy to have that much gas, not as big a deal as just having that, you know, ace in the hole? Exactly. For that, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I'd rather be prepared for anything. And, and cool. the boat will be slower. I mean, if you have a half tank compared to a full tank, you'll be two miles an hour slower for sure with a full tank. But um, for all those scenarios, man, you got yeah. to – you and two miles an hour is nothing. Ever. I didn't realize it was that. So, yeah, it's it's funny talking about that because back when I fished tournaments, I mean, you topped your tank off. That's just what you did every okay. single day. And now guiding, I mean, I'll put <laughs> yeah. ten gallons in there just because I know what lakes I'm fishing and what I'm yep. doing, and there's yep. no reason to have that much gas in there. That, okay. You know. And, and it goes, what, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's easier on everything if you're not. So if you're going fun fishing or whatever, but if it's a big body of water, it's a tournament, it's, you got to fill that thing up. Yeah. And our, our lakes aren't huge here, but I mean, if you're fishing a tournament on Roosevelt, there's a chance you'll run from one end to the other and, and it might be the, might be a mistake. And now you got to run all the way back. <laughs> totally dude. Seriously. Yep. It happens. You don't want fuel to be the reason why you don't do something Correct. in a tournament. Yep. You know? That's why I figure it's a, a newbie dumb question, but I was like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. So. Yep. Yep. So uh, I'm just glad when I was filling it up to the top all the time, it wasn't $3 a gallon. <laughs> and what was gas back then, Rob? Seven cents a gallon? 
Seven, seven to eight cents. Yeah. <laughs> it was leaded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, last one from best on tour. And, and this is awesome. It's Charlie Hartley. Um, I had no idea Charlie was doing this. He's Charlie Hartley's fished tournaments forever. He's a really accomplished tournament fisherman, fished the elite series, still fishes the Toyota series. Um, amazing guy. You know, one of the most beloved fishermen, bass fishermen on the planet, just because he loves to fish. Uh, he's caught a fish, at least a fish a day, for 790 straight days. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know how hard that is? Dude, I can't even. What's the most you guys think you've done? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to guess. <laughs> I, it's not even close to that. Two. <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy. Do you, have, do you have Charlie's number in your phone, Josh? I don't think so. But I could, I could reach out to him. I just Let's, wish you had it because I was going to have you call him right now and see if he's yeah. caught one yet today. That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's such, a, he's such a character, this guy. And he loves fishing so much. He spends his summers fishing Lake Erie. He lives in Ohio. And then in the winters, he goes to Florida and fun fishes in Florida every day and fishes tournaments down there. Um, we need fishing. him. He's our next guest, dude. We just have to talk about Good that point. alone. That alone is like a fantastic that, interview. Dude, imagine a documentary of that or, you know, it, I'll it'd call be Netflix. amazing. There you go. And he's, he's the perfect guy too. Like he literally <laughs> is just such a fun loving guy. He's so hyper. And, and in a good way, but like he's so tightly wound up. Swindle would always say Charlie Hartley's the only guy that cuts himself off on the water. <laughs> he, <laughs> but he's he's like notorious for having the most spick and span clean boat. Like his boat is spotless. He's wiping it down. Like he gets fish blood on the side of the boat. He's got a towel and he busts it out and wipes it off during the tournament day. But um, nice. It's no surprise to see he's doing this. And I'm sure, like, it's not just like going down to the dock and catching a bluegill. This dude has, has caught some very legit fish over, over this period of time. So, Dude, I love that. And that thing talks about that, you know, he's, he's a legit fisherman. But then on the days that he had to, like, crunch it in there, he talks about, like, sneaking over to, like, crappie ponds and stuff like that just to keep the streak alive and how it's a responsibility now. And that's cool. Well, does it think about it, like, if he's – Living in Florida in the winter and, and, you know, up north in the summer, he has to travel. <laughs> yeah, well, travel days, right? So he's having right. to catch, like, truck stop ponds and stuff like that. Good point. Get out there in the dark and catch one, like, before <laughs> taking off in the morning. Sneaking That's onto crazy. private property. <laughs> I, w- I want to know the latest in the day he has caught one. It's like 11. It's why he has to come on. on the podcast. Yeah, Look right. at all these questions. I'm yep. gonna, I'm gonna Does he say how that. long he plans on going? Yeah, I, was, I wanted to read it again while we're talking because it was pretty cool. Well, yeah, you guys have to check out this blog, though. It's He's got always – see, Dave finds these these gems. And uh, gems. every week every week he's got some really cool stuff. And thank God he's kept our podcast alive by giving us stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Dude, no kidding. It's a lot easier than scouring the internet. I just go on his blog and uh, start copying his content. <laughs> uh, um. But okay, so and Nick, did you have something too from uh, yeah, the I magazine? Did. And, and this is a this is a, a probably a rabbit hole to go. Well, it is a rabbit hole, and I know this is mostly a bass fishing podcast, so I'll try and just glass it for the interesting from a fisherman perspective. But um, this is in that fly fishing magazine, so cringe worthy as that is. Um, how much do you guys know about like um, 
this is a hard word to pronounce. I'm going to ruin it, but it's like anadromous. Basically, it's fish that are born in freshwater, live in saltwater, and then go back to freshwater to spawn. Right? Like steelhead. Stripers. um, Stripers. Yeah. Salmon. Totally. So this is uh, an article, and you can see here, and obviously this is a podcast no one else can see, but there's a picture of a fish scale. And if you can envision like the trunk of a tree and how they count rings to figure out like how old a tree is. And if you know what you're looking at, you can even see on a tree like, oh, that was a drought because the tree only grew this much. This was a a wet year, so it grew that much. Apparently with fish scales, you know, biologists can actually really read into the life of a fish. And so it's pretty cool. This article is called Four Times a Lady, One Steelhead's Astonishing Journey. And so it says, say you're in Seattle, but you need to travel 1,300 miles to Denver, and you must crawl on your hands and knees to get there. The future of humanity depends on it. More than two grueling years later, having survived a battle with a mountain lion and two vultures over some nasty I-80 carry-on, you finally reach the Mile High City, only to learn that you must repeat the journey two more times to assure the survival of your species. And so it goes on to like analyze this fish. Dude, this fish spawned... um, six times six times it swam from so it was born in a freshwater river in idaho swam to the pacific ocean and came back six times and it talks about the dams that it had to dodge no way dude all the things it did it lived like almost twice as long as most other fish um you know other of that species live and apparently so they they set up like fish ladders to get around dams because these you know now there's dams and there's challenges that didn't permanently exist for them so they caught this fish and put a tag in it and then that's how they knew also like they would document when it would come back and forth and do that okay like dude think about how cool that is and i should have maybe had a little bit more prep and if i read it it's just going to be awkward but just suffice to say that like how incredible is that to think that that fish would swim 12, 1,300 miles one way, six times. That's that's unreal, dude. Yeah. Un- that- unbelievable. What are the odds that it didn't get eaten by an eagle, right? Like all the things that could have happened. Like that is so badass. That's a journey. How long How long does it say it? Did it does it say how long it would take to go there one time? Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. The young spends two years. Okay. So this is crazy too. Let me see if it bleeds into that. But so- the young hen Helen, they name it Helen because it's just they're trying to make it interesting, spends the first two years journeying far out into the North Pacific, two even years. perhaps to the coast of Japan. That's how far right. those fish migrate, dude, from <laughs> Oregon to Japan, right? Before we turn into the Columbia in the fall of 2014. So it was born in 2012. And so, and then in the fall of 2014, to navigate those same eight dams to go upstream until reaching her home river where she spawns in 2015. If Helen was a salmon, her story would end here, uh, but um, few steelhead can spawn more than once. Uh, they have to swim nearly 900 miles to do it. Crazy, right? Dude, and I said going 20 miles in a bass boat is a daunting cast <laughs> on Lake Erie. This fish is swimming to Japan from Idaho. <laughs> Which makes it look like a cakewalk because it has to get through eight dams to do it. <laughs> dodging all the sushi bars in japan yeah no kidding dude seriously right says so um a 2018 oregon state university study of more than 12,000 steelhead in the columbia river system found that only 2.4 percent were repeat spawners and that was conducted on winter steelhead 
um, on a river upstream of Portland. So 2.4% on a river that's like maybe 20 miles inshore from the ocean. And this fish swam to Idaho six times. Mind-blowing. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, so it says she was eight at the time when she was collected the last time. And uh, Helen's journey carried her over dams 32 times. And she swam more than 4,000 river miles. Crazy. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. How cool. And then, and then she ate a night crawler and someone stuck their fingers in its gills and took a picture for Facebook and then later ate it. So that's how yep. the story ends. <laughs> yep. I was hoping it would end like that. That's no dignity for that fish. Right. Well, that's maybe, pretty cool. Maybe it's poetic justice, right? Like you always want to think that like, you know, Tom Brady's had this illustrious career and then like he's going to get like his career will end when like a fourth string linebacker who didn't even go to college sacks him and blows his knee up or something. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, he's been pretty unbelievable already this year um, at 44. Uh, one last thing. Uh, we're, we're just about wrapped up, but I forgot we did have a uh, listener question. So I wanted to get oh, to that real quick and we appreciate nice that. I think it's just one if, if we if we have more, I apologize. We'll double check again this week and keep them coming guys. But this one starts off. Hey guys, love the podcast. Have a quick question for you on swim baits. I'm getting lots of action throwing a five inch hollow body swim bait with an eight aught owner hook. I'm fishing 10 to 20 feet deep. The problem is I'm losing fish at the boat. Like they were never hooked. Hooks are sharp and I'm throwing them on a seven, three heavy rod with 17 pound fluoro and a relatively fast reel. What am I doing wrong? Um, so I, if you guys want to, uh, I'll jump on it real quick, and then you guys let me know what, what you think. Um, I think he's got the perfect rod and reel setup. That's exactly what I would throw it on. You could throw a little bit longer rod to have a little more power on your hook set, like a 7.6, but even 7.3 is, that's a good rod for what you're doing. Um, but the big, the big thing I would do is just switch to a jig head you know, with an open hook, because it's so easy with an, with those big EWG swim bait hooks for when a fish eats it for it to ball up and you not to get a great hook into this fish, but a jig head, like a, a five aught swim bait jig head, Berkeley makes fusion 19, um, heads that are, that are designed for this with like a four and five aught hook, depending on the size head, but like a three eighths ounce head would be a good place to start even a half ounce, um, that exposed hook makes all the difference in the world. It's just a gaff when you set the hook on those fish. It's, it's exposed. There's no plastic for it to run through. And it's actually amazing to me if you're, you may be fishing that weedless hook because you're around grass or something like that, that jig head will come through grass really well, man. I mean, it's, it's if the grass is good, fresh grass, but I've reeled that exact setup, like a half ounce jig head with a five-aught or I'm sorry, a five or six inch hollow belly swim bait through a lot of hydrilla and uh, not had a lot of issues with it hanging up. Um, if you can't do that, I would say there may just be, there may be nothing you can do, man. But one thing I would say is when that fish bites um, with a lot of swim bait fishing, especially this setup, keep reeling steadily. You feel a bite and almost like a topwater, just keep reeling, keep reeling until your rod literally starts to load up because it's real easy for those fish to pound it. And you feel that and you set the hook instantly really hard. And that fish doesn't, it's got that big piece of plastic. A lot of times it's taking two bites out of it. It'll take a bite and grab it and then take another bite and take it down a little deeper. 
because um, it wants that fish, that fish that it's eating, that big fish to go down smooth directly down its throat. It's not going to try to swallow them through his side. So you feel that first bite and set the hook and you're setting it when that fish is maybe that bait fish is cross-eyed and that crossways in the fish's mouth only got half the bait, whatever. But if you can wait for him to take that second bite, then your rod starts to load up and then hammer the fish. Um, I think you'll, even with that, that hook, maybe you'll land a few more fish. You guys agree? Yeah. I, I mean, you pretty much covered it a hundred percent there. I the only thing maybe I would try is, and it sounds silly, but go to a, uh, he, he's using a heavy action rod. Yep. Maybe go to a medium heavy, go to a medium, uh, but something still long that has power, you know, that may allow to let him get in a little deeper. Yeah. I mean, that would be, it's pretty random, but that may be something I would try if I couldn't go just to a jig head. That's jig interesting. Heads. Yeah. The risk yeah, of just not pulling it out of its mouth, just giving it, slowing it down so that they just eat it better. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's an awful big hook to go to to a lighter rod, but I still think that may be something I would try. So. Like a 7.6 medium heavy. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, it's worth, it's yeah. worth trying, trying both, I, right? I mean, I, I think I would take Josh's, uh, you know, everything he broke it down and, and go that route first and then maybe go the other way, so... That's cool, dude. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. If it doesn't if it doesn't work, then uh, you got to change something up. You know. Yeah, there's uh, no reason why those fish should be coming off. I mean, there really isn't, other than, you know, I don't know. It's crazy too if they're coming off at the boat. It's almost like you just like you don't have a hook in them, but you just reel them like a dog on a leash right up to the side of the boat, and then it just probably yeah, (laughs) right. Like it's just in their mouth, but it's not just not getting them good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here's where I'm going to put a, a ball on a tee for you, Josh, and you can plug a little Berkeley. But what hollow bellies do you like? That's kind of a technique that I've had great success with, but I'm out of touch with, honestly. Like, yeah, that's well, I haven't thrown for a long time. They make a, a hollow belly. It's got kind of a hard name to remember. It's called the hollow belly. Um, oh, that yeah. one. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, 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 a, it's a staple, dude. Like, Bass Tricks came out with the first really popular uh-huh, hollow belly. I remember that, yeah. Berkeley came out with a hollow belly pretty quickly after, and it's – they're close. They're, they're similar, but, um, what I like about them is they come in a clamshell pack so they don't get all bent up. You know, they, um, and, uh, yeah, they're, I mean, just, it's, it's, it's a bait that was unbelievably popular 10 years ago. That's what I remember. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, dude, I'll never forget. I showed up, I was fishing a Federation tournament. This is probably 13, 14 years ago, fishing a Federation tournament down in Yuma on the lower Colorado river. And uh, my non-boater I get is a young kid like me. We're both like 18. And, uh, dude, the, uh, these hollow bellies were so hard to find at the time. Uh-huh. They had just come out. They were sold out everywhere. And I don't know how he got them, but he had a literal – I mean, he literally didn't show up with a tackle box, a tackle <laughs> bag, bag of those. a backpack, <laughs> and all that was in the backpack is hollow bellies. <laughs> dude, That's it, dude. It. He didn't have a worm. He didn't have <laughs> – anything awesome. dude he had a swim bait rod and a backpack full of hollow bellies and he's like dude you can use as many as you want my dad got all these things <laughs> <laughs> we were out there just crushing him and throwing his hollow bellies out of his backpack all day i'll never forget that day dude it's but funny yeah, you awesome. say that martinez too i just saw on facebook you know it gives you memories on this day dude yep. 
nine years ago today was the last time I was at Martinez. That's going to take whatever shred of credibility I've ever had on this away. But dude, nine years ago today, I had a picture at a weigh-in at a TBF with like nice. a, a solid lower salt or lower Colorado river fish. And yeah, that's funny. You have that's a story a fun about that place too. to fish and they eat that, ah. that thing down there. It's, <laughs> it's great. But yeah, that's, go ahead. I'm sorry, man. That's just Arizona's gem. It doesn't get any, you know, publicity, but it is so fun down there, man. It is for sure. It is, man. The hollow belly, it's, it still catches them, but it's just, it's, it's worked its way through the country and the fish shot so much that guys have, have found other ways to catch fish, but it still is, is a legit way to catch fish. Um, but good question, man. And hopefully no matter what you do, you start landing, you know, landing, uh, just a higher percentage of them. Um, Write us but, back. Let us know how it works out, man. Try yeah, to I'd like to. I'd like to Please. see a photo of his setup too. Yeah. Hey. Yes. Yeah, not the rod and reel, but not the rod and reel, but the the you know the way he's hooking, rigging it that could yeah. uh, could help us out. Too. Obviously, That's everyone can tell we look and read that stuff. So continue to communicate with us. Send it in after you hear this and let us know what's up. We'll we'll keep it going. Heck yeah. Well, Hey, uh, Rob, your guy hasn't come yet. So we might be able to get, I'll get off before he comes. Um, yeah. anything else before we roll guys? Uh, I just wanted to talk a lot of crap about Rob and I'm going to let uh. my third grade inappropriate mind, let that comment you just said, Josh go. So I don't know, man, it was fun to, uh, connect with you and, uh, yeah, I'm just going to end on a real awkward note. Cause that's my skill. There you go. Sorry, you guys didn't get to hear that. Um, but thanks again. <laughs> Sorry for uh, the uh, delay in episodes. Thanks for hanging in there. And uh, we appreciate you guys very much. We'll be back at you next week. Hey, guys, one last thing. We've been talking and uh, we realized that we've done a pretty poor job keeping everyone updated on the social media side. We are looking to start uploading more, more content, especially podcast content, up to YouTube. So if that's something that you're into that you're that you're relatively good with and you have any interest in uh, helping us out a little bit doing some work with us uh, please reach out to us you can reach us at info at anglishhappyhour.com or you send us a dm on instagram or facebook but um it like like we said we, we all have other things going on it's not our strong suit and we would love to be able to just do a little bit better job of uh, getting more content other than the actual podcast out so feel free to reach out to us uh we pay really well we pay I've got a lot of used flatworms that, that I pay with. Um, Rob may even, even let you drive his Raptor. So um, as you can see, the rewards are endless. We just need a, a good person to help us out. So um, feel free to reach out. And as always, thanks again for listening.